according to St. Matthew. And then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And then he said to them, Whose head is this? And, and whose title? And they answered, The emperor's. And then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. And they left him and went away. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. As the oldest of four kids, I did a lot of babysitting growing up, which seems an interesting request in retrospect for me to be responsible for three other human lives. As a father of three children now, I've had occasion to reflect on this bestowal of power, and to be honest, I'm really not sure what my parents were thinking. I mean, I, I, I guess I was more or less as responsible as most other kids, but still, I mean, I know me. I, I know how absent-minded I can be. As a parent, I'm not sure I'd cut me the same slack. And frankly, I don't remember my parents paying me for do it either, so, you know, there's that. But looking back on it, and I'm... I'm ashamed to admit, I, I think maybe I enjoyed the power too much. I liked getting to tell peop other people what to do. I expected if my brothers and sister were here, they'd probably be amening right now. Go to bed. Make sure you load the dishwasher. No ice cream. Because I said so. You see, I mean, power is, it's a seductive thing. Who gets to be the boss? Who gets to call the shots? It's a big deal. Yeah, and it happens all the time. It happens at work, it happens between lovers, it happens between Republicans and Democrats. It even happens in church. Who has the upper hand? For whom or what do we drop everything and just go? Who, who has a claim on us? In our gospel for this morning, Jesus runs headlong into this whole power thing. 
If you remember, Jesus, as we've been discussing uh, the past few weeks, after coming into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey to the shouts of Hosanna, runs afoul of the local religious authorities by going to the temple and turning over the money tables and calling the religious leaders frauds, saying that they'd turned his father's house into a, a house of robbers. Remember all that, right? That's a big deal, Jesus turning over the money tables, because after he'd wreaked havoc on the temple economy, he did something even more impressive or offensive, depending on who you ask. Verse 14 in chapter 21 says, The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he cured them. Now, as we noted before, that's a big deal, since the blind and the lame were viewed as blemished, which is to say, broken, not worthy to be in the presence of God. In making the healing of the blind and the lame the first act after denouncing the religious authorities, Matthew lets us know that Jesus' biggest beef with the folks in charge centers on their practice of gatekeeping for God. In effect, the religious leaders said, we get to say who's good enough to come into God's house. Now, after his little foray into temple politics, Jesus gets pulled aside by the big, high, muckety-muck, the mucks of the temple, and, he, and, and they want him to explain himself. I mean, they, they want to know, just who told you that you could start pushing the local mob bosses around, right? Inviting everybody in here. Once again, they want to check IDs, make sure everybody's got the right credentials. You've got to keep out the riffraff, right? So Jesus goes on to tell a series of parables, all of which have as their point that the people who've been left to guard the hen house have suspiciously pointy teeth. The caretakers in God, <clears throat> that God gave responsibility to for, for administering God's justice, the, the, the people who are responsible for making sure that everybody gets cared for have fallen woefully short. They've worked hard to keep the wrong sorts of people out, but only to maintain their own hold on power. But Jesus, after all these parables, you can see that the, the, the steam is just sort of rising out from under the collars of the religious elites who've descended on him. They just love to get their hands on that Jesus coming in here like he owns a joint, messing up their perfectly smooth, perfectly profitable religious arrangement. And he's really chapping some backsides here. So in our gospel for this morning, the religious poobahs, they come up with a trap. They say, teacher, we know that you're sincere and that you teach the ways of God in accordance with the truth. See, I mean, you can almost like hear them choking on their words, right? <clears throat> but they're on a mission, so they just plow on. And that you show deference to no one. Hey, thanks for tearing up the temple, by the way. For you do not regard people with partiality. 
like we think you should, frankly, if you just want to know the truth. And all the time, they've got these pasted on sort of insincere smiles, like, like, like used car salespeople. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, like the bank manager uh, who tells you just how horribly sorry she is that the, the, the bank processed the largest transaction first so that you bounce five checks instead of one, all with a kind of, what are you going to do, shrug, as if to say, you know, if it were up to me, I'd get rid of all these silly charges. But you know, rules are rules, so sorry about the extra 175 bucks. Please pay up. Now that person. See, now here's where the religious leaders spring a trap. They're dripping with all this insincerity and they say, tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Now this is a good one too. It seems like there's no really good answer. Jesus is familiar with this kind of verbal jujitsu, though. So back in chapter 21, he pulled the same sort of thing on them. Remember? When the religious leaders came to him and asked him by what authority he turned over the money changers' tables, he asked them a question similar to the one that they're asking him right now. In that exchange, Jesus said, I will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? Now, if you recall, in that exchange, Jesus fooled the chief priests and the elders. If they, if they say that John's baptism is from heaven, then Jesus is going to say, oh, then why didn't you listen to him? If, on the other hand, they say John's baptism was of human origins, then the crowd, who all thought that John was a prophet, well, then they might turn on the religious authorities. And so they all wound up saying, we don't know. Now this time around, the tables have been turned, and it's Jesus' turn to face down this uh, a tough question. But why is it so tough, you wonder? Well, the religious leaders ha have him kind of between a rock and a hard place, because they ask him if it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar. And you say, well, that's not, I mean, that, that's not a big deal, is it? Everybody pays taxes. We have conversations about taxes all the time. But see, here's the problem. Rome existed in Israel as an occupying force. The average Jew in Jerusalem wants the Romans out. So if Jesus says, sure, it's fine to pay taxes to Caesar, then he's a sellout to the very folks who are oppressing his people. On the other hand, if Jesus says, no, it's, it's not lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, then he's going to call down the wrath of the folks in charge. When faced with a threat to its power, Rome was brutally efficient in putting down rebellion. In fact, maybe you remember they had this little practice meant to dissuade anyone from getting big ideas about revolution. It was called crucifixion. Uh, nasty stuff, that. So what's Jesus going to say? How's he going to answer this? I mean, he can either make his own people mad, or he can make the occupation forces angry, perhaps angry enough to kill him. But I mean, either way, 
depending on how he answers this question, his future is about to get extremely prickly. But like some ancient Palestinian Houdini, Jesus miraculously maneuvers out of an inevitable trap. And in the process, he makes fools of his questioners. He says, you got one of those coins on you? Now, on, it, on its face, that doesn't sound like a particularly clever move, right? But see, here's the thing. Those coins, denarii, they had a picture of Tiberius Caesar on one side, and then on the other side, it said Pontifex Maximus, which is to say high priest. And for Jews to carry them was not only tantamount to political treason against Israel, Judea, it was also dangerously close to idolatry. So the fact that the religious leaders produced one so quickly is, is Matthew's way of showing that Jesus reveals their hypocrisy without them even knowing it. Jesus, his answer is pretty subtle. You could read it one way as a warning to give all the honor owed to Caesar because he is God's divinely appointed ruler. On the other hand, you could read it as Jesus' way of relativizing the claims of Caesar all the way around since, well, everything belongs to God, right? I mean, think about it. About what is it possible to say, this, this is God's, but this over here, that belongs to Caesar. God has no claim on it. And that's what this whole long argument has been about. Has Who's got dibs on us? Who has a legitimate claim on our loyalties? Who do we sell out to? God or somebody else? Now put that way, we know the answer, right? We know that God is supposed to have the ultimate claim on our lives, but Living that one out is difficult. I mean, we see people all the time selling their souls to stay on the good side of much less interesting gods. I mean, we see people who claim vigorously that they serve God, and still, when it comes down to it, instead of making a choice, they let themselves off the hook by telling themselves that, well, you know, Caesar is God's tool. That God is just fine with anything that Caesar does, even if it goes against everything Jesus says that God cares about. It's too easy to want to be in control, to want a veto on who gets through the doors and who has to stand on the outside looking in. Because it's, it's a little heady to be gatekeeper, isn't it? get to say who gets to come in and who gets to stay out. But unfortunately, if Jesus is to be believed, then we who've been in charge for so long haven't done a very good job at keeping the gates. We've too often spurned the gifts brought to us by those who didn't measure up to our qualifications, wanting to ensure that they meet our exacting standards before, you know, God could ever love somebody like them. But it's not right. 
few years ago when I was, I was down in Mexico, I was downtown with some of the kids from the, from the home, and we went to, the, uh, to, to, to a book fair in downtown San Luis Potosí. So after the festivities, um, it was a really beautiful rendition of What a Beautiful World in Spanish by uh, third graders. That was pretty, pretty great. But we were walking back to the van, and I, I, and I noticed an older woman with a, a shawl, and she, of course she had a cup in her hand, and she was approaching us. And I was walking beside Carlos, who was nine years old, and, 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 and the old woman stuck out the cup, and she's looking at us, and her eyes are, are wet and roomy. And so Carlos shifted you know, the bottle of apple soda to his other hand, and he starts rooting around in his pocket for some money. And of course, I saw <clears throat> this, and I said to myself, you know, there's no way I'm going to let this little kid who owns almost nothing in the world give his money away when I've got more than enough in my own pocket, right? So he starts pulling these coins from his pocket to give to the lady who appears to have even less in the world than he does. And I put my hand on his arm and I shook my head as if to say, put your money away. I'm a minister. I work in a church. This is what we do. This is my job. But then he looked at me, the hurt in his eyes, and he shook his head even more determinedly. And you could just see it. It was like I said to him, your gifts aren't good enough. Only rich folks, folks who were born with advantages, are qualified to do this kind of work. That's what he heard. I don't blame him. I was wrong. I could see that immediately, so I just stopped. I pulled my hand back, and I nodded. And it was amazing. You could see him gather himself up, his dignity intact, and he plunked two peso pieces in the cup. And it struck me. This isn't my work. This isn't even the church's work. This is God's work. I don't have any right to say who's got what it takes to do God's work. I don't have any right to say who has something worth giving to God. And that's just it, isn't it? People have long brought the gifts of their lives to the church, and the church, for a variety of reasons, has often said, no, that's okay, you keep it. Those who've missed out, who stood outside with their noses pressed against the window, just trying to get a glimpse in, They've come to the church on countless occasions, and how often have they been turned away or made to feel as though the gifts they bring are somehow inferior, or not up to our high standards, not worthy to be in the presence of the holy God. 
I mean, here's the thing. Caesar's always going to want what Caesar wants. Wall Street, Madison Avenue, they vie for our attention like it's their birthright. There are so many claims placed upon our loyalties from every direction. And sometimes that which pursues us most relentlessly is our own desire to be in control, to be ourselves gatekeepers of God's mercy. We in the church have been guilty of spurring the gifts people bring to God, but Jesus, he ain't having it. Jesus says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. But here's the thing, it all belongs to God. Those doors aren't gates to keep people out. The lame, the blind, the poor, the immigrant, the marginalized, the forgotten, the folks whom society says aren't natural, aren't like us. Those doors are an entryway that allows us a place to welcome people in. After all, the claims on our loyalties made by Jesus offer us not a chance to be in charge, but the chance to serve. Serving is how he lived, and serving is how he died. Why do we who are his followers, why do we think our loyalties will cost us anything less? Thanks again for tuning in to the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate the podcast on iTunes, retweet the link, or just tell your friends. Godspeed until next time on the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast.